Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. Who's got the number one pick in this year's Detroit. draft? Who's got the number one pick in this year's draft? Basketball! Select Isaiah Stewart. The Detroit Pistons select Killian Hayes. Sadiq, that was absolutely sensational. I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. From long range. Oh! Yes! Yes! Detroit Basketball! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. I'm Jasper Apollonia. Join by Aaron Johnson today, as always. Aaron, I hope you and uh, all of our listeners had a great holiday season. Uh, it's it's been a couple weeks since we've been back here, so I, I hope you and uh, you and yours had a good one. Yeah, we did, and and, and same to you, obviously as well. It's, it's good to be back. A lot a lot has happened since what it, we didn't have a podcast last week. We had one the week before, um, I believe. So we. We have a lot to discuss. I mean, the Pistons went through COVID. We had G League guys winning the Pistons basketball games when the regular Pistons couldn't do that. Um, we got more stuff on Jeremy Grant. So let's just let's just get into all of it, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, man. I mean, look, the the Pistons were decimated, as was most of the league, by COVID nineteen over the last couple of weeks. Uh, some crazy names, some blasts from the past, getting called up. Uh, the, the Pistons had the likes of uh, uh, former Michigan luminary um, Derek Walton Jr. playing 40 minutes for them in their win against the San Antonio Spurs. That was kind of uh, just like crazy to see. And it wasn't just because they had to. Like he was the only player in that start in that really wrote point guard rotation that could get them good minutes there. Uh, Hamadou Diallo played almost 50 minutes in that overtime win so some crazy stuff going on especially with the Pistons and after pulling off that win against the San Antonio Spurs in overtime on a Sadiq Bay three they got most of their players back from COVID-19 went into Milwaukee against or not into Milwaukee played the Bucks at home as 17 point underdogs and pulled off the win uh, that 17 point Underdog win, by the way, that is the biggest win against the spread of any team in the NBA since 1995. And folks, if you are looking to place your bets, you know where you should go? Bet online. They're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the football and basketball action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. 
And let me tell you, Aaron, if you had put that 50% welcome bonus into that uh, and bet on the Pistons against the Bucks, you would have been feeling really, really happy. That would have uh, would have really offset some of your huge losses from that that summer league title uh, that never <laughs> never happened. So that never happened. That was crazy. But th- wow, that's why you're the host. What a segue. I mean, props mm-hmm. to you. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about the COVID Pistons. I mean, Sadiq Bay, Hamadou Diallo and a bunch of G leaguers. Like, how about that? Yeah, it's crazy because I, it's interesting because this is, these are the Pistons first back-to-back wins. I of all the whole entire season. And I believe in the last something crazy, like 60 games, uh, it was something in that range. And we can't even really talk about the back-to-back wins as being like the same team winning back-to-back games because they really weren't uh, against the San Antonio Spurs. Obviously, Sadiq Bey, Hamadou Diallo played a huge, huge part in that win. Um, you know, Hamadou, 34 points, 14 rebounds. Sadiq Bey, 21 points, 17 rebounds. And the game-winning three-pointer after he had started off one for 11, he's double, doubled in the corner. Uh, Derek Walton Jr., throws a between-the-legs pass on Jakob Pertl, gets it to Sadiq Bey, who somehow gets it up and just swishes that thing. He said that it felt good. He knew it was good as soon as he got the ball, which, good for him, because uh, it's been hard to have a lot of confidence in these Pistons this season, especially when you're playing multiple G-leaguers in your starting lineup, multiple G-leaguers for close to 40 minutes a game. But they pulled it off, Aaron. Yeah, they did. I don't. I'm still not quite sure how, but they did. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know. I, I think part of it is just we watched like 17 straight losses or whatever it was, 14, 15, whatever. Um, but that those those two wins were just fun basketball. Like even watching the G League guys, I mean, I had seen a lot of them already th- throughout this season, you know, being at the Motor City Cruise games and whatnot. Uh, I mean, Derek Walton Jr., that is a guy that literally he, he he is an NBA player. I mean, there's only so many roster spots in the NBA. And I, he is a guy that when you talk about fringe NBA players, he is right there. He looked the part. He looked like an NBA player out there with the Pistons. And he was phenomenal in that game. And you know what he did? He went right back down to the G league. And in his first game back, put up a triple double, a 20 point triple double. Yeah. He's it's, just sorry. an NBA player. And, and that's, to, to win a game with two of your main roster guys. And then, yeah, you can say Luca Garza, but I mean, Garza has played, you know, probably nearly as many G league games as he has NBA games this year. Uh, I mean, that was a team that was legitimately more G league than NBA. And they went on and got the win. And that was just, Really, really fun. I mean, Bay Diallo, they've all been playing good basketball. And it was fun, honestly, to watch some of those G League guys come up and see that, man, these th- that G League basketball is legitimate. I mean, we, we talk about it at the games there. There's a lot of guys down there that could slash should be on an NBA team. And I think across the league, we're seeing just how talented a lot of these guys that aren't in the NBA still are. Yeah, and Aaron, it's hard to overstate how crucial Derek Walton was to that victory. They fell apart without him on the floor. And look, he played 40 minutes in that overtime win. 
you could make the argument that wasn't enough minutes for him. He was that necessary. Uh, when he came out of the out of the game and Jay Sean Page came into the game, they fell apart. Um, it just was not good without him running the point. And when he did, he played really, really well. I, I think you're bringing up a really good point when you say there's a lot of NBA players in the G League right now. I've been saying this, I think, for the last two years. I think the NBA is kind of overdue for an expansion of at least two more teams. There's just too many good basketball players right now. And I know when you watch teams like the Pistons and the Rockets, it's easy to go, oh, my God, like these these teams are terrible. But to be fair, there's only a few really, really bad teams in the NBA right now. And even those bad teams have talented players on them. So that's something I would not be surprised to see happen in the next couple of years, because you're right. Derek Walton Jr. does deserve to be on somebody's NBA roster. That's an NBA player. Is he a starter? No. Is he even like a big minutes backup? Probably not. But I think he proved that he can play minutes for a team that's going to be competitive, at least against a shorthanded San Antonio Spurs squad. So yeah, it's hard to overstate how crucial he was. And obviously Justin Robinson another player that got called up impressed Dwayne Casey enough because he got some serious minutes in that win against the Bucks um, on, on Monday night as well. Uh, you know, Killian Hayes had a foot injury kind of struggled in the third quarter after playing a really, really solid first half. And what Dwayne Casey decided to do was just ride Justin Robinson Robinson for the entire fourth quarter. Basically he played almost 23 minutes in that game. Yeah, obviously Dwayne Casey sees something in Justin Robinson. I don't know who else is seeing it right now, to be completely honest with you, because I've not been as impressed with him as some of the other guys. And I'll be honest, the guys that I've really been impressed with outside of maybe a little bit of Micah Potter is the guys that are, were a part of the cruise. And the Pistons sent those guys back down. Primarily Derek Walton Jr. and Cassius Stanley were two guys that kind of caught my eyes. I like Czech Diallo. Obviously, he has years of NBA experience, but... It's just, uh, I think the game's a little bit too fast for him at at this rate. He goes down to the G League and he puts up big numbers. I think he had like 26 and 14 in the Cruz game um, on Wednesday night. But he caught up to the NBA and it just, he looked like he was a little bit of a step slow. And and maybe he needed more time to adjust. But uh, there are some guys that have obviously stood out and were impressive. And there are some guys that maybe you realize why they're still in the G League. They're still fighting their way back into the league or fighting their way to the league. I think Derek Walton Jr., I think Cassius Stanley, those are guys, even maybe Micah Potter, those are guys that should be on an NBA team. But someone like Justin Robinson, who has got a lot of minutes throughout his hardship contract, I just haven't been all impressed with him. But he has been on the floor, and the Pistons have won a couple games, and he's won the trust of Dwayne Casey so much that he's playing all of these minutes. So I think it's it's – I've enjoyed watching all of these G League guys come up. And I've also enjoyed seeing Sadiq Bey and Hamadou Diallo really get to be the guys. I mean, I didn't know Hamadou Diallo was capable of what he did on that three-game stretch where he averaged 31 points, 10 rebounds, and over three assists per game while shooting a really good percentage from the field. I believe it was over 50, 50% if, I, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, he was phenomenal, and I didn't know he could do that. And he went, him and Sadiq Bey were kind of like 1A, 1B, and Diallo was absolutely phenomenal. Now, since, uh, you know, 
some mid mid tier performances from him since some guys have come back and outside of that three game stretch, but just to see him kind of come out of that shell and do all of that was, was really fun. And obviously Sadiq Bay, I mean, what can you say? Mike Angolano, who's not with us this week, unfortunately, on the podcast dropped an article today on palaceofpistons.com, really going in depth on how Sadiq Bay has turned his season around over the last 10 or so games. And I mean, he's been phenomenal. Now we are recording this game, the night of the Grizzlies game. So we haven't seen that game yet. And we did see the Charlotte game last night where it was a really bad loss for Detroit. But Sadiq Bey, outside of that game, those last 10 games before Charlotte, he's been playing phenomenal basketball. Mike highlighted it in his article. Again, you can check that out on palaceofbusiness.com. But this is the player that I think people are seeing a little bit of in his rookie season where he was just that confident shooter. But now he's adding the paint attack. He's adding the, a little bit of playmaking. He's getting to the cup. He's drawing a few more fouls. Like, there's so much going on with Sadiq Bay over these last 10 games that's so encouraging after as rough of a start to the season that he had. So I'm not saying Koba was a blessing to the business by any stretch of the imagination, but it did give us a little bit of a different look at them, gave us a little bit of a different look at some new different players, and we got to see some of the guys that were able to stay away from COVID, see what they could do in the limelight, and both Bay and Diallo really impressed. Yeah, I mean, I'll just quickly run over some of these stats for Sadiq Bey and Hamadou Diallo. Now, people remember that Jeremy Grant went down against New Orleans. Um, the Pistons faced Brooklyn uh, the game afterwards, and both Sadiq and Hamadou Diallo uh, did not have their best games against Brooklyn. But since then, in the, that 10-game stretch, like Aaron just said, uh, here's Hamadou Diallo. 17 points, two and a half steals per game, two and a half assists per game, six and a half rebounds per game on 53% shooting from the floor. He's playing 33 minutes per game. Sadiq Bey is putting up to almost 24, uh, three assists, eight rebounds, a steal per game. He is also, and this is the thing that's been really impressive for me, getting to the line so much more. He's gotten to the line 5.6 times per game in this 10-game stretch, and he's shooting 93% from the line. So those are just gimme buckets for Sadiq Bey right now. And it's been really, really important because he's been playing almost 40 minutes per game. Um, and the thing that for me has been most encouraging is not necessarily his overall field goal percentage, but it's the fact that his three-point percentage in this stretch, he's shooting nearly 10 per game and he's shooting 38% from three. So those are a lot of numbers I just threw out there. But the fact of the matter is both guys have been really efficient. They've been really productive, and they've given Detroit exactly what they needed. Like you said, Hamadou, these last couple of games, not being the focal point of the offense has definitely taken a step back. And I do think that that's something that Dwayne Casey and the Pistons have to think about when it comes to his role. Like, what position does Hamadou Diallo need to be in in order to be the best Hamadou Diallo he can be? Because he has seemed like he isn't quite sure what to do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, we know he's a great slasher. We know he's very athletic. We know he's one of the few guys on the team other than Killian Hayes, who even bothers to cut to the basket. Um, so I, I guess for me, I'm wondering, I'm looking at this and I see Sadiq Bay as long as Jeremy Grant is out, I see his production being sustainable. 
he's getting to the places on the floor where he wants to be that he couldn't necessarily get to when Jeremy Grant was in the starting lineup. But now I see Hamadou Diallo having a little bit of that problem where it seems like he isn't 100% confident when to attack, when to take a backseat, what exactly he should be doing as a member of the starting lineup. And Aaron, I'm just wondering, what do you see as being the solution there for Hamadou? Yeah, I think, I don't think he can be able to do what he did over the last, you know, five, six games or whatever. Uh, He's just not going to get that many touches, but he's got to find some sort of happy medium. And if that's him moving more off the ball, if that's him, maybe they try to involve him a little bit more in the pick and roll game. I mean, the problem with Diallo, the real limitation for him is he, he's not a threat to shoot the ball. And there are times where, you know, multiple times throughout the game where he gets the ball out on the wing or in the corner and he's just not a threat to shoot from there. Mm -hmm. So all he can do is either pass the ball or try to take his defender to the cup. And he doesn't have the greatest touch around the rim. He'll sometimes take some tough looking floaters or he'll step in for, you know, a 16, 18 foot jump shot. Those are not the best looks for him. Obviously the best way for him to score is getting right to the rim and being right under the basket. Um, trying to put him in situations where he can do that. Um, You know, I don't know if you can do things to get him open off the ball where he has an open lane to the rim. Maybe it's getting him more on the ball and putting the balls in his hands as the pick and roll operator and doing things like that to, to try to get him going. I mean, I think he really is going to be limited by the three point shot because in the games where he went off and scored a lot of points, the ball was in his hands a lot. And with Killian Hayes and Kate Cunningham back, your two primary ball handlers, that's going to just by nature force Diallo off the basketball. So mm. it's going to be harder for him to impact the game offensively at the same level that he had been doing it when some guys were out. Uh, but there's still a reason for Dwayne Casey to try to find different ways to involve him, get the ball in his hands more, because we saw some really positive results when that was the case. Yeah, I mean, hey, (laughs) I mean, two and a half steals per game in that stretch is pretty impressive, especially since uh, there was three games where he had five steals. Uh, That's that's a lot. And for a guy that has struggled at times on defense, I think that that's really crucial to him staying on the floor. I don't like that he gambles as much as he does. I don't like that he gets lost as much as he does. But if he's forcing turnovers, that's a good thing. Um, like you said, yeah, the shooting is definitely an issue. Look, he's been shooting 53% overall from the floor during this 10 game stretch, but that three point percentage is at 26%. And here for me is maybe the more worrying thing. He's only shooting 51% from the line. So if he's not scoring at the rim or he's not taking that mid range step back fadeaway, which I think has actually been a very effective shot for him this year. He is very limited. Um, And when he's not the focal point of the offense, it's hard to justify him taking the ball into the mid-range and forcing, you know, step back fadeaways. So, but but on the other hand, when he's not the focal point of the offense, well, then there's points where he's going to have to stand in the corner, but he can't shoot threes. So I definitely think there's an issue there. For me, if I were Dwayne Casey, 
I would definitely experiment with maybe running him with the second unit as kind of what he's done with Josh Jackson in the past, where he'll have Josh Jackson kind of run the offense for them, or at least bring the ball up the floor, be kind of the primary initiator. Because even if he's not necessarily the greatest passer, he's always a threat to get into the lane and always a threat to slash to the rim and score. So defenses kind of have to sag off of him, giving him some space to pass. I think that that would be a good solution, at least in the short term, because I don't necessarily see him being the solution in the starting lineup. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a difficult situation there, but look, Sadiq Bay being Sadiq Bay again has clearly changed a lot of things for this team. It has clearly changed a lot for his fortunes and it's made the really the star of the Pistons for last year. And for most of this season, Jeremy Grant seemed very, very expendable, Aaron. Um, there have been some real trade talks flying around. James Edwards, third of the Athletic, uh, has been reporting that there are multiple teams with a desire to trade for him, all of them contenders. Um, you know, we can run through some of these trades right now, Aaron. I I'm wondering, there's a couple. Um, we've already discussed the, the potential for a Cam Reddish trade. Uh, we've already discussed the potential for maybe something uh, in the Miles Turner kind of situation. Another trade target, though, that's come up in recent weeks has been the Chicago Bulls, which are rolling right now. Uh, a guy that the Pistons and Troy Weaver was reportedly enamored with, Pat Williams, might be on the block. So I'm wondering of, of the trades that you've seen thrown around, which ones are appealing to you? Is there anything else that you would like to throw in there? Or, hey, are you even thinking, I don't want to trade Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I I don't understand fully the rush to trade Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant chose to be in Detroit. He wanted to be in Detroit. He took the same amount of money from the Pistons that Denver offered to be in Detroit. And he responded with his best season of his career. And obviously this year, there were some ups and downs. Now he's hurt. Not the greatest season for him so far, but the Pistons were not putting him in a position to succeed. I've said it so many times on this podcast, but giving him the ball at the high post, right elbow, left elbow, and asking him to create offense is just not how he's supposed to be used. He's not Blake Griffin. He's not the Blake Griffin of 18-19. It's a different player completely. Jeremy Grant is a great spot-up shooter. He's a great finisher down low. He can even cut to the basket a little bit. I mean, it's not something that we see him do all that often right now. Oh, he did it. But he did it all the time in Oklahoma City. He did it all the time with the Nuggets. Right. Like he was he was a, that was what he did. He cut to the rim and finished. You you can do different things with him than what you are doing with him. You have two elite ball handlers, distributors, floor generals, and in, and in, in Hayes and Cunningham. You don't have to have Jeremy Grant on the ball every play. Put Grant in situations where he's a spot up guy, where he's a rim runner, things like that. He doesn't always have to be the one isolating or being the ball handler in pick and roll situations, like use him in a better way and you're going to see better results. It's just that simple. The Pistons have someone in Kate Cunningham who is more natural of a lead guy, a district, a floor general, an isolator. He can do those things. He's going to do those things throughout his NBA career. Jeremy Grant can do those things in smaller bunches, 
but use him in the right way and you'll see much better results. I am, I get it. You're going to have to pay Jeremy Grant after next season. Yeah. But guess what? You have all the money in the world right now. And outside of Cade Cunningham, and I guess we're starting to see maybe Sadiq Bey as well again. Is there anyone else on this roster that you're like, man, this guy's going to really cost a, a, a significant chunk of money when he becomes a free agent? No. no. I mean, <laughs> no. he comes off the books. Lyles comes off the books. Corey Joseph comes off the books. Rodney Magruder comes off the books. All that dead money is going to come off the books by the time you have to pay Jeremy Grant. And then you won't you won't be paying Cade in that same offseason. You, know, you won't be giving him – however much you're going to end up paying him, probably a lot of money. And will guys like Killian Hayes or Isaiah Stewart be on the roster? Will Hamadou Diallo be on the roster? How much money will those guys really be making? I, I, I don't see getting all infatuated with, oh, we have to pay this guy two years down the line. Guess what? If you go get Cam Reddish and he's as good as you guys think he is, you're going to have to pay him too. Same thing with the guy that I would probably prefer out of anyone in DeAndre Hunter. Same thing with Patrick Williams, who I'll say I am not all bought into. I wasn't bought into him, you know, when he was being talked about as a target for the Pistons. Like, yeah, he's I, – I tweeted it the other day, and I don't mean this, you know, word for word exactly, but it's it was that family guy gif of Peter Griffin, and there was, he was being offered a boat or a mystery box. And he goes, well, we could take the boat or we could take – the mystery box and guess what could be in the mystery box a boat like jeremy grant is the boat patrick williams is the mystery box and you're hoping patrick williams turns out to be the boat aka jeremy grant like isn't that kind of patrick williams down the line hopes is that he becomes very similar to jeremy grant because the Kawhi leonard talk about him is i'm sorry it's insane i mean he could be a very poor man's Kawhi leonard if things turn out all fine and dandy with him but i think jeremy grant is a really good comparison they're similar builds, similar height, similar wingspan. Grant's got a couple more inches on him in that regard, but they have those same kind of features, the spot-up shooters, things like that. You are hoping that Patrick Williams turns into the player that you already have. And, yeah, I get it. Grant's older, but that's that's okay. I mean, Grant's 27, 28. It's not like he's 31, 32, and you got to get him another contract. You're going to be paying him after his age 28 or 29 season. And I, I just don't think he's going to get the max contract. He might get a lot of money. Don't think he's going to get the max, especially with the way that he's played this year. And if the Pistons keep adding talent around him, he's going to be in a little bit of a smaller role to where he's not going to maybe have all those opportunities to have 20, 25, 30 point games. And maybe his value kind of gets, you know, subdued a little bit just off that alone, having Kate Cunningham and having another top pick coming into the fold and maybe you sign someone in a free agency or whatever, there's going to be more talent around him that's going to take the ball out of Jeremy Grant's hands, theoretically. Mm. Okay, so that was my rant. To kind of get back to the main question, I'm not in the rush to trade Jeremy Grant, but to look at some of the trade options, I'd say Patrick Williams is probably my least favorite. I really like the Hawks as a team to make a deal with. I'm intrigued by DeAndre Hunter, who the Hawks probably don't want to give up, but that's the guy that I would want the most. A two-way, I think he has some real potential. I do really also like Cam Reddish, and I think he would be a great fit next to Cade Cunningham. I think having another guard, wing, whatever you want to call him, that can be a volume scorer, because Cade Cunningham doesn't always like to shoot the ball. He is a little tentative, quote-unquote, in that sense, where he likes to also pass, get other guys involved. 
you need a guy that wants to just go out and score. And Cam Reddish can do that. And he, we've seen it this year, the 30 point games, like he can shoot from the outside. He can get to the lane. He's even improved defensively. I'll give him that as well. I mean, and he's got all the, 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 the he's got all the attributes to do it. So it's important and it's good that he is doing it, but he also has a little bit of that two way factor to him as well. So I think the Hawks, if you can get one of their young wings in Hunter or Reddish, I would be really intrigued by that. Um, they have some other pieces that maybe get involved. Maybe someone like Kevin Herter. Um, I think but... you'd have to take Danilo Gallinari probably as part of that, which would be fine because he's only guaranteed 5 million next year. Um, so it actually would not be a, an issue in that sense from a monetary perspective. Uh, look, Aaron, I will say this though, and I'm, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here, but something I've seen a lot of, you know, I see both sides to the Jeremy Grant situation because on one hand, yeah, everything you said is correct. Like he's not being utilized correctly. I've seen some people, you know, kind of scoff at trade rumors and be like, well, Grant's having a bad year offensively. And it's like, yeah, because he's not being played in the proper role. Like if he's not the first option offensively, if he's not getting these high post looks and stuff like that. If he is going back to cutting and finishing and, you know, spotting up, if he's going back that he's not a 20 point scorer, he's a 15 point scorer, but he's going to do it on much better efficiency. And if he doesn't have that huge offensive load, you're going to see him improve more defensively. He's already done it. Like we've seen it for the nuggets. And I think he's a better player than he was two years ago. I'm not even just saying that because of, you know, the numbers increasing. I'm saying it because I think he's a more complete player. The difference is he's in a role that's not right for him. So on one hand, I see that. And like you said, exactly. When it comes to like the financial thing, it's like, look, unless you're, you know, you're going out there and signing like Brad Beal next off season, really like look around, look at the free agents that you're going to get. Let's be real. The, the fact of the matter is you're most likely going to be settling for mm, B plus free agents regardless. And I think that's probably what Jeremy Grant is going to be uh, when his contract is up after the end of next season. So it's not like he's a guy that one, you're necessarily going to have to give a max contract. I don't think he's going to demand that kind of money. And two, he's the kind of free agent that you're going to have to be looking after anyway, because you're the Detroit Pistons and you're not a free agent destination. On the other hand, I also understand the idea to be like, look, Sadiq Bay improving the second Jeremy Grant exited the starting lineup. I do not see that as being a coincidence. I'm at the point right now where I'm looking at it. And I think there is absolutely a one-to-one correlation there. So Aaron, to counter what you're saying, I think that there is reason to say, look, if we're going to get Jeremy Grant like production out of Sadiq Bay on better efficiency, and he's not going to demand the ball in the same way Jeremy Grant does, doesn't give you as much defensively, but you don't have to have so much from him in terms of demanding the ball. If we can get that from Sadiq Bay and we can also get assets in return for Grant, why wouldn't you do that if you're the Pistons? I think that makes a whole lot of sense. If I could get somebody like Cam Reddish or Hunter or Patrick Williams or a guy I was playing around with in the trade machine, um, you know, someone like Jalen Smith from the Phoenix Suns, I think that they would have 
a lot of interest in trading for Jeremy Grant. So I see both sides to this argument. I think right now, if I'm looking at it, I would trade Jeremy Grant. I know you can hang on to next season. I know that you can wait a little bit longer, but I'm more interested in seeing what I have from Sadiq Bey at this point, and I'm more interested in getting back some assets before the draft comes up, because then I know what I really need in the draft as well, right? Yeah, I get it. And I I'm, I don't even disagree with your point of the correlation between Bay playing better and Grant exiting the court. I do think it, a lot of it comes down to how both the guys are used. I, I really do. I think Grant is p- being pigeonholed in such a bad role for him that it ends up hurting some of the other guys out there. I mean, Sadiq Bay has done very well with the ball in his hands a lot. And Jeremy Grant might be better if those two kind of, in a sense, swap roles. Now, I'm not saying Sadiq Bay becomes the guy who gets the ball at the high post every time, but letting Sadiq Bay find his way to the rim is is going to go, go well. And if he has Jeremy Grant to kick it out to, or if he's driving and Jeremy Grant's cutting to the rim and he can dump it off to Jeremy Grant, who's an athletic finisher, that sounds enticing to me. I get what you're saying, Aaron, but but – And I agree with you. In theory, I agree with you. That's what I thought coming into this season. But in practice, it just hasn't happened like that. They get in each other's way. I just think it's more so how the offenses run when Jeremy Grant is on the court versus it being solely on Jeremy Grant. And there are possessions, too. It's not just on Dwayne Casey. Like There are times where Jeremy Grant isolates and purposely, you know, goes one-on-one and takes a bad shot. So it's not just on Dwayne Casey. And if Mm -hmm. that change can't be made and those fixes aren't going to take place and Grant's not maybe willing to play that type of basketball again, or Dwayne Casey won't change his offense to kind of attune for these different guys and what they do are doing well this year relative to last year, then yeah, I guess it really does make sense to trade Grant. And again, those guys specifically from the Hawks, those guys intrigue me. Like, you can talk me into that. Uh, I don't know what Phoenix has else to move besides Jalen Smith, but maybe there's something there. Like, I'm not 100% opposed to trading Jeremy Grant, but I'm not rushing him out the door either. I think there are some fundamental changes that need to be made to the Pistons' offense uh, and just the philosophy in general of how, how they coach it. But I, I see both sides. I'm not all the way out on Jeremy Grant. I just don't understand why we're, why a lot of people seem to be pushing him out the door when he has played relatively well for the Pistons and he chose to come here, which um, a lot of decent players end up doing. Well, so I will say this. Uh, the With the, the Phoenix Suns, the trade I just threw together before the podcast on, on the trade machine would be something like Jeremy Grant for Dario Saric, Jalen Smith, Landry Shamit, and a future first round. I don't know if that appeals to you. I do like Jalen Smith as a, as a jumpy guy. Um, but if I look at that, like if I could get something like Reddish and Okongwu from the, the, the Hawks, I'm taking yeah. that package over a Jalen Smith package. I agree with that. I think, I mean, you're looking at Smith, who I, I would say is probably less enticing than Okongwu. I don't know how you feel about that, but. I, I prefer Smith to Okongwu personally. In terms of the upside, I, I just see it more with him, but okay. regardless. But, okay, all right. And then 
you're taking on some extra contracts in the Phoenix deal. And that first round pick is probably, I mean, you probably, you know, somewhere around 30, 25 to 30. So it's a mm-hmm. back end first rounder. I think Cam Reddish is worth more to me. And I can settle, even if Smith is maybe a better prospect than Okongu, I think I would rather, I think I would rather take Reddish than the, than the first rounder. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably with you on that. Uh, just something I thought I would throw out there because I haven't really seen it thrown. I, I haven't seen the Suns really mentioned. Um, same with kind of like the, the Utah Jazz where they're another team that desperately could use Jeremy Grant or a Jeremy Grant-like player. They just don't really have the assets to beat out a team like, you know, the Bulls or the Hawks at this point. Um, another one I've also seen thrown around is, and this was by, by James Edwards, um, on the athletic was Jeremy Grant and Corey Joseph for Kyle Anderson, uh, D'Anthony Melton, uh, Zaire Williams, and, uh, a first rounder. That's another one that for me is, is less appealing than the other two. Um, you know, I like Kyle Anderson. I'd like Melton. I, I like first round picks, but I don't necessarily see any of those guys being big pieces in Detroit moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I think it all, I think, I think we're on the same page that the Hawks are the team to make a deal with, or I don't know how much of a fan you are of Patrick Williams, but in terms of upside, it sounds and it feels like the Hawks and the bulls are probably the two teams right now that we know about that maybe make the most sense. Yeah. I, I do. If I had to guess, as crazy as it might sound, I think that the Bulls are more likely just because I really see them going all in this year. I, I look at that roster and I look at that front office and I see a team that is just like, this is our chance. I, I, you know what I see them a lot as like, like the 2019 Toronto Raptors, where it was just like, I don't know if we're going to get another shot at this. We have to do everything in our power to win the title this year. And while I think Atlanta is in a way desperate as well, it's a different kind of desperation. They're more the desperation of like, ah, we have these expectations. We want to be better, but we don't want to oversell. They don't want to make the wrong move. The Bulls at this point, I don't think they care. I think they are just, they're like the Rams for football where they're just like, yeah, Von Miller, I don't care. I'll trade all my first rounders. I don't care. I don't need young players. I need to win the title. And I could definitely see them making that godfather offer type deal, you know? And Patrick Williams is the kind of guy that if you are trading Jeremy Grant, in my opinion, you do trade him for somebody like Patrick Williams who has the kind of upside to pair with somebody like Kate Cunningham and be a really, really forceful defender, even if he's maybe not what Jeremy Grant is offensively at this point. And of course he's younger too. And you know, you're probably not going to have to pay him the same amount of money. You'd have to pay Jeremy Grant in three years, but we'll see who knows. Yeah. I mean, I get, okay. Last thing we'll post so we can wrap this up. If you're making a prediction, do you think Jeremy Grant is traded this season? Yes. There's too much smoke, way too much smoke for there not to be fire. It, it, I mean, maybe they don't. And maybe it's like an Andre Drummond situation where he was thrown around in trade rumors for like three years in a row. But for me, this is a little bit different because I see Grant as being a player that actually has a lot of appeal to, to contending teams, whereas Drummond 
was going to cost too much. I see Grant being a little bit more of like a, okay, we can justify this to our fan base. We can justify this to our head coach. You know, we can justify this to the front office by taking on a player like him because he's going to help you on both ends. And, and, you know, he's also the type of guy where he's proven it in the playoffs before he's done it for OKC. He's done it for the nuggets. That's why he got the big contract in the first place was because he did it for the nuggets. He was that good in the playoffs. He was that impactful. So yeah, I do think, I do think he gets moved to a team with real championship aspirations I don't think the Pistons are in a position where they can turn down young talent at this point, because I've seen enough of this roster to know there's just not that much high level young talent on it. Interesting that the trade deadline this year is before the all-star game, 10 days ahead of the all-star game, February 10th for the trade Interesting. Deadline and February 20th for the all-star game. Um, yeah, I guess I'll make my prediction. I don't think Jeremy Grant's traded this year. Um, Interesting. I, I do think he gets moved to the Bulls ultimately. Bulls. Okay. And if it's, and it look, it, that all depends on whether they decide, look, we want to go out and get a guy who can score and help side protect. Or if they go out there and they say, we want a, like a real center, you know, six foot 11 type rim protector. That's obviously going to be the difference there. I just don't see there being really any of those guys that are high level enough on the trade market to justify giving up the number four overall pick from last season. So I, I do think if he gets moved, it's going to be to that. I see Atlanta being a little hesitant. I just think the package is either not going to be enough for Detroit or too much for Atlanta, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How about you? I, you're saying you don't see, he, see him getting moved, but if he does get traded, who do you see as being the most you know probable probable team? I would agree that it's the Bulls, absolutely. I agree with all, everything you said about how this is kind of their timeline. This is – if they're going to make a move and they're going to win a ship, it's it's now or never. Uh, DeRozan and Vucevic, both over 30. Uh, Zach Levine wants to win. And they have they have the other talent to do it, like Alex Caruso, Alonzo Ball. They, they went out and spent for those guys. They went out and, and killed their draft capital – to get Vucevic, they were able to sign DeRozan. They're all in. And, I mean, obviously Jeremy Grant would would be huge for them. I mean, I think he would really help their title chances. You're talking about a guy that impacts the game on both sides of the floor, shoots, protects the rim, is a cutter, is athletic. I mean, he would severely help them. So, I, I, if, if anyone's going to trade for Jeremy Grant, I do think it would be the Bulls, yes. Okay, Interesting. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. Once again, I want to thank Bet Online as our show sponsor and the Believe Podcast Network for hosting us as always. I'm Jasper Apollonia, uh, and I want to say thank you very much to all of our listeners. Happy holidays from me and Aaron Johnson and, of course, the sadly not present Mike Angulano. That's all we have for this week. We will see you next time here on the Palace of Pistons podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.